0: Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics. This is the Bellatour Christie Podcast brought to you by bellatorchristi.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evolo, as we step into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina and Ronan, Montana This is the Bellator Christi Podcast The word of the Lord comes today from Matthew chapter 16 Verse 13 Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi He asked his disciples Who do people say that the Son of Man is? They answered with certain different prophets And Simon Peter answered You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God Now Curtis, we're continuing with our themes Do you remember this theme? I
1: you know, if
0: you say it, I'm going to be like, oh, yeah, I know that one. So this one was one I was I'm almost 100% sure you would have gotten. Comedy, I think it was uh, late 80s, early 90s, if I'm not mistaken. And this one was Night Court. Do you remember that one?
1: I never watched Night Court.
0: You never watched Night Court. Bull no. the the uh, the oh man the uh, bailiff, uh, big tall guy. <laughs> is it John Larroquette? I, I think he have, was on I there. I might have
1: seen. I might have seen a few of those. You know, just like little little bits of it. But yeah, I I never
0: yeah. Oh man, if you get a chance, Court. if you get a chance, you need to go catch that series to check that series. out. it is hilarious.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Well, good evening, folks, and uh, welcome aboard. We just love to have you with us here. Um, man, I need to ask a favor from from all of our listeners that we just um, unify under under praying for praying for the world, praying for Christianity, and pl- praying that God gets exalted through all of this chaos that's going on. There's so much going on right now. That's it's it's almost um, it's almost at a point where the the we need to find some sort of unification um, under God, seeking God's wisdom, seeking God's uh, Holy Spirit and His giftings that He's given us um, to really help lift up the body of Christ, rectify the things that need to be rectified, write the things that need to be righted. But also remember. There are core truth and core fundamentals that that Christians across the world can unite under. It doesn't matter denominations. It doesn't matter um, where you grew up at, locations or any of that. It's all the same fundamentals that all hold together. That's what sprouted the church. We need to pray for revival. We need to pray for unity. We need to pray for God to be glorified in this. And I really am struggling with uh, with with trying to keep that balance in my head, and and I think it's important that maybe maybe uh, if if we need to, we get a group of people together and just uh, go and have uh, have some coffee together, or have a you know sit outside on your porch or sit in your living room and just gather around the scriptures, read through them, pray. Pray together and find unification in any way we can so I just think it's I think it's something that that we're facing nowadays that's uh, getting more and more to where I think God's calling us to actually start unifying under a uh, even under small small pretenses small small groups um, I think that'd be a that'd be a good good place to start work out from there so anyway Brian we got the the uh, kind of the bonus rounds here, episode, uh, or part 11 with our hist- uh, with our uh, Christology. And I think t- next week we're going to have another one. So um, this one's the historicity of Jesus, and this is right up our wheelhouse, exactly what Bellator Christie is all about.
0: Absolutely. When we started uh, doing this series, we, we, we came at it for more of a... Systematic theological aspect, which is important, but as I started going through this, I I was convicted about the fact that we're dealing with some with some certain issues these days that we may not have dealt with uh, in times past. And there is a couple of movements. There are a couple of movements out there uh, that uh, that the the church is facing, and we want to be a ministry to the church. and one of those aspects is concerning the whole Jesus mythicist movement. And another aspect is uh, surrounds the whole, as- the whole understanding of Scientism or materialism, which has grown um, rampant in today's time. I would dare say though that scientism and materialism is, a- is really weakening from its moorings, its foundations have really weakened in, say, the past, at least past 10 years, maybe even the past 20 years, uh, due to several reasons, um, it's it's not the big bully in town like it used to be. It's it's not the big bully in the schoolyard like it used to be. Um, It's weakened quite a bit. However, in contrast, Jesus' mythicism, even though it's not held by any, hardly any um, reputable scholar, it is growing in popularity in, on social media and YouTube and, and, and things of that nature. So that's why we need to really address the whole historicity of Jesus. And even next week, talking about the miracles of Jesus, looking into that and, and uh, some aspects of, of what he did and even asking the questions, do miracles still continue today in Jesus' name?
1: And I know we're going to get into some of this stuff, but is this kind of tied in with maybe some of this uh, uh, new age, and maybe even some of the, the this what what I call salad bar Christianity, where we take a little bit of little sprinkle of, of this religion, a little sprinkle of this religion, a little sprinkle of this, and, and we all classify it under what Jesus said it did
0: if there's one good thing though i would say of the new age movement in today's time is that it has made people more spiritual now the question is is whether or not their spirituality is pointed in the right direction now that's obviously we know that's obviously not always the case but one of the things that i am that i've really been startled by is the fact that many individuals who claim to be under the, the whole genre of nuns, N-O-N-E-S, not the Catholic ladies, uh, but uh, the right. N-O-N-E-S, that they are far more spiritual. And that's why I'm thinking that materialism does not hold the stronghold over people that it once did. E- even back, say, in the 60s, 70s, materialism was a lot stronger than it is even now, uh, if there's a benefit from the new age movement, I would say that it's it's the the focus more on spirituality and the focus on even accepting that there may be something beyond this. But the downside is is as we're as we're um, dealing with those issues. Um, we've got to focus it back on the fundamental truths of who Christ is and that's what we've that's what we've done already in this series I think we've accomplished that very well in the in the past what ten weeks we've that we've had this series um I think we've already solidified that point uh, but now tonight we need to make sure that we solidify and bolster the whole understanding that Jesus was in fact a historical person
2: hmm.
1: yeah <laughs> so let's get into it so What is Jesus Mythicism, and what are some of the main arguments given by the Jesus Mythicists movement?
0: So, Jesus Mythicism, as it's uh, popularly known these days, is the whole movement saying that Jesus never historically existed. That he was never really a person in history. Now... To me, that sounds absurd, even when in the 80s, and well, even more in the 90s, when the Jesus Seminar came out, all of those guys in the Jesus Seminar, at least in the 90s, late 90s, would have at least agreed that Jesus was a historical person. And they may not have agreed on, on that he said everything that was in the Gospels. They may not have agreed on that. But they would have all agreed, at least, that uh, that Jesus was, in fact, a historical person. Uh, l- let me just start off with, with this. I, I found this clip. This just shows you how absurd this whole notion of Jesus' mythicism is. This is a uh, Q&A at an atheist convention This is Bart Ehrman, who is a New Testament scholar, atheist-leaning agnostic, and this is what he says on uh, the historical Jesus. Let's give it a listen. Wait, if it'll come up.
3: (laughs) Yeah, well, I do. I mean, uh, that's why I wrote the book. Well, I mean, okay, yeah. I mean, I have a whole book on it. I mean, uh, so th- there is a lot of evidence. I mean, there, there is so much evidence that it is it is not, I mean, I know in the, in the crowds you all run around with, it's commonly thought that Jesus did not exist. Let me tell you, once you get outside of your conclave, there's nobody who, I mean, this is not even an issue for scholars of antiquity. It is not an issue for scholars. Of, there is no scholar in any college or university in the western world who teaches classics ancient history new testament early christianity any related field who doubts that jesus existed now that is not evidence that is not evidence just because everybody thinks so doesn't make it evidence but if you want to know about the theory of evolution versus the very theory of creationism, and every scholar in every reputable institution in the world thinks that believes in evolution, it may not be evidence, but if you've got a different opinion, you better have a pretty good piece of evidence yourself.
0: That's a topic for another discussion. There,
3: the reason for thinking Jesus exists is because he is abundantly attested in early sources. That's why. And I give the details in my book. Uh, early and independent sources... Uh, indicate that certainly that Jesus existed. One author that we know about knew Jesus' brother and knew Jesus' closest disciple, Peter. He's an eyewitness to both Jesus' closest disciple and his brother. So, I mean, I'm sorry, but, uh, you know, again, I I respect your disbelief, but I, I, you know, if you want to go where the evidence goes, I think that I think that atheists have done themselves a, mis, a a disservice by jumping on the bandwagon of mythicism because frankly it makes it makes you look foolish to the outside world.
0: That is from Bart Ehrman. <laughs>
3: yeah. yeah, that's
1: interesting because um, you know I mean. I don't know. It seems to me like the whole, um... It it is true that everybody wants a piece of Jesus. Everybody wants Jesus on their side. Whether that be uh, you know, atheists saying, you know, Jesus never existed, they're still using his name to try to press their point. And why we you don't see us sitting here going and arguing over whether Buddha was a real person
0: yeah and, and We're there's not arguing. far more <laughs> historical evidence that Jesus of Nazareth existed than than there ever was if, if for Buddha in fact uh Dr. Gary Habermas told us in class and he even directed us to a book written about Buddha and it's written in the foreword that the Buddhist scholar says that he wished that they had the type of evidence for uh, Buddha that they have for Jesus of Nazareth because he says it's not even close. The earliest that they have any, coming anywhere close is at least by a thousand years uh, after uh, uh, Siddhartha Gautama, who is known as the Buddha, existed, uh, lived. No one argues that... that, that Siddhartha Gautama, who was the who was called the popularly called the Buddha, existed. Uh, yet you have this with Jesus. It's really weird, and so this mythicism actually takes two forms. I didn't know this until studying this for the podcast. Version A and Version B. Version A claims this is more of the political movement. This this version, and this is uh, popularized by that movie uh, Geitheist, I think it was called, if I'm not mistaken. You said it, it was a few weeks ago.
1: Zeitgeist.
0: Zeitgeist, that's one. Zeitgeist. Uh, th- this version claims that Jesus never existed, but the idea of Jesus was a political movement started around AD 100. We already know that's false because the entire New Testament was written before One hundred. We're going to get into that in one of our questions. Um, So, version B says now, if 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 there is any compelling version, which there isn't, the more compelling version would be B over A, the spiritual version. Some say that uh, the Jesus never existed historically, but he existed spiritually. And so, this is what I believe uh, Richard Carrier, if I'm not mistaken, argues, or maybe it's Robert Price, uh, that he, he exists in the spiritual realm and that uh, people that the veil was opened and people were able to see him spiritually. So, in the spiritual realm, he was crucified, died, and resurrected, but not in the physical realm. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but... Uh, I think what this tells us, Curtis. If, if let's just call a spade, let's just call it for what it is. I think the evidence is so strong for Jesus of Nazareth that to get around it, many mythicists have uh, have to claim that he, he just never existed. Uh, but this movement really began uh, in the in during the Age of Enlightenment, and so we'll talk more about that in our next question. Uh, but this kind of gives us a grounding for. Um, what Jesus' mythicism is all about.
1: Hmm. So then who are the main advocates? I I guess we kind of already know it's going to be materialism, but what else?
0: Yeah, so so some of your main advocates uh, are are these days are Robert Price and Richard Carrier are are two of the more popularly known uh, advocates. There's a there's this strange looking fella. Uh, what is his name? Wears a undertaker cap. Uh, you you see him. I can't think of his name. Uh, <laughs> He's got a weird-looking mustache and beard, but it'll it'll come to me after the podcast is over. But he's another one who advocates Jesus, mythicism, whatever his name is. Uh, He's got a weird name. He goes by a stage name. I can't remember what it is now, but it doesn't matter. But Robert Price is the most notable and actually the only one with an advanced degree. Uh, Not that that matters. It's just he's the only one who does. He doesn't teach anywhere, but he is over the Center for Inquiry Institute, uh, Paul Lewis uh, C- C- cockold, I guess is how you say his name. Earl Doherty, Lewis, uh, excuse me, Thomas L. Brody, and Richard Carrier are all part of this group, according to Robert E. Van Voorst. The first Jesus mythicist uh, can, or uh, the mythist, first mythicist movement, can be traced to the times of the Enlightenment around. Around the 1700s, even the 1800s, early, you know, Enlightenment went from 1685 to 1815. So mid to late 1700s is really when this started taking shape. So let's think about this. You've had 1700 years before anyone ever questions the historicity of Jesus. Doesn't that tell us something? <laughs> 1700 years have passed yeah. before anyone ever questions that Jesus... Existed. Uh, many people point the first mythesis to a guy by the name of uh, Lord Bolingbroke, who was an English deist of the Age of Enlightenment. And so, some of these English deists, some of these deists in general, this time they had some pretty wonky views. Even Thomas Jefferson, he, he tore out parts of the of the New Testament that he didn't like uh, because he was a deist. And so uh, that's kind of where this it's not it's not a uh, it's, it's a very relatively new movement. It's nothing that, uh, that you can trace back to antiquity of any sort.
1: You know it's kind of funny because you just said you know the, the guy's last name and it's funny because how did we get our last names back you know? back in the back in the days they you know like shoemaker or that you were an iron smith and so on and so forth so you got bowling broke so <laughs> he, he was he went broke bowling
0: i, I guess mean, he did just,
1: <laughs> just some of the, some of the names man some of these names just crack me up <laughs> yes yeah, so, i mean I, I don't know it this seems to be something that is It this seems to be something that literally people have run out of things to to discount about Jesus and so they just want to discount the whole thing. Which is which is strange to me. I mean it's kinda like you know, kinda like the penguins on Madagascar on the movie Madagascar where they're like, There's nothing to see here, you know? <laughs> so
0: well, it shows a form so, okay. of intellectual apathy, oh. I think. You know, quite honestly. So instead of engaging the evidence and, and doing the groundwork, I mean, because let's be honest, all of the all of the alternatives for Jesus's resurrection have have gone broke. They have bowled and broke. Yeah. <laughs> they are broken and they are broke. Yeah. the only valid theory for the resurrection is that Jesus literally rose from the dead. It's the same thing holds true. I mean, I, I, like I said, I, I agree. I think that the Shroud of Turin is legitimate. Uh, it, it's a funny thing to me that if it were a fake, if it was a fake, that it hasn't been wholeheartedly discounted. Yet, the more they study it, the more yeah. questions they have yeah. about it. You know, it to me, it's, it, it, there's just something very odd about it. And, um, it's the yeah. same thing with Jesus of Nazareth. You cannot, you, you know, you you can you can claim he's not the savior. You can claim he's not the Messiah. You can cast him off for a fool, but you cannot ignore him. So even the Jesus mythicists, right. they have to engage him in some degree, in some sort. Uh, even if it's denying that he exists, uh, they have to still engage him in some sort. But for them, possibly. Uh, I mean, I don't want to put thoughts in their head. I don't want to misrepresent them. But uh, it, it just seems to me that it's just kind of a lazy way of, of doing research. Just to say, I think the same thing holds true with um, the whole uh, aspect of Socrates. Uh, many people will say, well, Socrates must not have existed. He was an invention of Plato. Why would Plato do that? Uh, f- first and foremost, you have to understand the times, uh, and we'll talk about this even even more, and I'll, I'll probably save that for a little bit later when we talk about this other question. But uh, about the whole aspect of writing, um, but there's some people who try to discount Socrates. I, I, I think it's foolish, absolutely foolish, to do that. You you, ha- you better have a whole lot of evidence to the contrary to prove that a person didn't exist. I mean, because because we we come up with figures all the time that we know are not. Uh, historical figures, like the Incredible Hulk. He's not a historical figure. Bruce Banner did not really walk the earth. If there was a Bruce Banner, he, he, wasn't, he didn't turn into a big green monster. We know that's fictional. We know Superman is fictional. We know Spider-Man is fictional. Yes, they had fictional characters back in ancient times, but they identified them as such. Real historical people were known to, to have existed, and so th- there's just a distinction made. It's just really ludicrous in my mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna say, well you know, they knew they they did say that those, you know, the things that were, you know, like you said, were not real. Uh, they 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 actually knew and discovered and said and so on and so forth. But figments of somebody's imagination don't get history wrote about them. They don't get their their paths their paths their conversations their the things that they've said done wrote down not just in well we're going to get into that not just in biblical evidence but extra biblical evidence i mean absolutely it, It just seems silly. I mean, to me, it's the
0: same thing. Not only applies to Jesus. The the same thing, you know, it it doesn't only apply to Jesus and Socrates. I think it also applies back to the Old Testament. There are some people, even in Christian circles, who deny that David existed, Solomon existed, and and Moses existed. Why? I mean, it makes no sense to me. I have never understood this form of logic. Whether it be Jesus' mythicism, or Moses' mythicism, or even Socrates' mythicism, it makes no sense to me while we go down this route.
1: Right. Yeah. Silly. So do we have sources prior to AD 100 that speak of the historical Jesus?
0: Actually, 27 of them. (laughs) Yeah. I was just
1: going to... And say, well, there's (laughs)
0: that. All of the books of the New Testament, I mean, if if we treat the books of the New Testament as historical documents, every single one of them, including the book of Revelation, even though the Revelation was written last of all the books of the New Testament, it still would have been written in the late 80s, mid-late 80s, maybe early 90s, but it would have been completed and finalized well before 100 A.D., so you have the entire New Testament. You have uh, also Clement of Rome who writes early on. You have Josephus who mentions Jesus. We'll, we'll talk about him in here in a few moments. And a lot of other documents that mention Jesus well ahead of 100 A.D. So the whole aspect of this being a political movement created in 100 A.D. is just hogwash, to be honest. It's just hogwash. Yeah. yeah.
1: So let's get into the... Have you ever tried to wash a hog?
0: i've never seen a Me, hog i wanted to wash <laughs> grandpa used to raise hogs up uh, just uh, up the road from where we li- where we live now he used to raise hogs but i've never tried to wash a hog i guess with, maybe with a hose
1: <laughs> yeah, we have 4-h kids around here you know they uh, they show pigs and so it's always uh, it's always funny because we always say well get over to the hog wash and it's it's hilarious because it's like little stalls that they have and they they garden hoses and they scrub them all down with with the soap and it's it's quite funny but yeah
0: i have heard that hogs are mean you don't want to do (laughs) that so well
1: yeah some are yeah yeah some are yeah it's they you can get some uh some of them that are some sows that really are uh pretty mean they'll hunt you down oh wow Put you in the, put you on the ground, put you on your butt pretty quick. So makes me appreciate well, my love for making you mad. Well. <laughs> <What, what>? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Vengeance. That's right. <laughs> I just like the bacon.
0: Vengeance is mine, says the fork. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: good stuff, right there. So how how many let's just let's just get into that the extra biblical sources how many of them are there?
0: There are far more than we're going to mention tonight. Uh, actually, on uh, to try to give a cheap plug for my book, the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics, I, I list quite a few out on in that book that you can go take yeah. a look at. Uh, we'll we'll just list uh, four or five here tonight for for the sake of time. Uh, Pliny the Younger is a Roman who mentions Jesus in his in letter ten written in AD. Uh, he he uh, mentions Jesus in passing, he mentions Christ in the community of believers. Suetonius is another uh, Roman who mentions Jesus in his biography of Claudius. Claudius ruled from AD 41 to 54. Uh, he mentions the expulsion of Jews from Rome due to the uprising over one named Crestus. A derivation of uh, a variant of the name Christ. So there was this community of Christians, and those who opposed this community of Christians, uh, they were causing such a spell and uprising. That they were cast out of Rome, and so this actually confirms some of the the things that we read in the New Testament, uh, as well as the the fact that we have uh, we know that uh, there's a community that was built around a man named Christ, uh, Christ Jesus, and so there's a refer- passing reference to him there as well. Tacitus in AD one fifteen uh, writes his Annals of Imperial Rome. Uh, he mentions Nero's accusal of the Christians for for uh, a false accusal of the Christians for setting fire to Roman Rome. And Rome uh, Nero did this himself. He blamed the Christians for it and uh, so he mentions this community of Christians. And so in both cases, you hear about the community built around this, this person. Uh, Josephus mentions both Jesus and James, the brother of Jesus. Uh, there's a popular text called the Testimonium Flavonium. Now, many scholars will say that uh, his reference to Jesus here was, was, was flowered up and may not have been in the text, and they would say, well, why would Josephus even mention Jesus in the first place? Well, there's a couple things we need to say about this. One, Jesus, even if you don't agree with him, even if you're not a believer in Jesus, there were, there were many different people who started groups during this time. And so Jesus, being a notable character who started a community, would have been mentioned by a Jewish historian if that group grew large enough he would have mentioned in fact that he mentioned some of the other individuals who had uh, communities named after him and in the book of Acts we're uh, told of a couple who had uh, movements named after them as well so that's not actually nothing surprising uh, here It doesn't mean that Josephus was a believer now, It is possible that some uh, interpolators, interpolators, I guess is how you say that, came along and flowered up the language to make him speak more of uh, Jesus than what he may have necessarily done. He may have and It may have happened It may not have happened In some older v- versions of Josephus They find a version of this testimonium Which basically says Jesus uh, was, was a good man He had a large following Some called him the Messiah Some claimed to have seen him after his death He was put to death by Pontius Pilate And the community of his followers Still exists to this day um, Also There's another little addition here That even Bart Ehrman adds That I find very fascinating that when it comes to Josephus, his whole mention... Josephus, let me first of all say, Josephus was not a fan of some of the um, higher-ups in Jerusalem. And that's why some in the Jewish community really didn't like Josephus. So the whole, whole aspe- aspect of him putting Jesus as possibly being the Messiah, this Jewish community couldn't maintain order, so they hand him over to Pontius Pilate, and, and this may have even been a smack in the face of the Jewish community even even maybe poking poking some, some things there along the line as well so it may very well be that the whole thing was of Josephus not that he was a Christian not that he was a believer in a Messiah but that he was just trying to cause tensions and, and poke uh, poke the bear so to speak in Jerusalem uh, because of this disgruntledness that he had that this disgruntled relationship he had with the Jewish leadership at that Time. So um, he also mentions James, the brother of Jesus, later on. It makes no sense if he doesn't mention Jesus as well. So uh, there's no reason in my mind to deny the authenticity of this statement of Jesus. This would have been something you would have anticipated Josephus to have done if the movement grew large enough. And in fact, he mentions other other people who had uh, movements named after them as well. So this wasn't anything out of the ordinary for Josephus. So just a couple of things there to mention.
1: So, just, just, and, I don't, and I don't remember. i just going to ask this question just out of um, Pierre uh, just thinking I heard it, but isn't there or wasn't there a, a writing from uh Pilate that said he he wound up crucifying or or um, convicting a uh, a man by the name of Christ or Jesus
0: I don't recall any there may be there may be but I just don't recall don't recall that I know that there is an order uh, given. Um, by the, I can't remember if it's the emperor or if it's Pilate, uh, the, written in stone that uh, is uh, stating that if anyone uh, steals the body of a person in a tomb that they would be um, executed by the order of, of Rome, by the emperor of Rome. And so this was found in around Israel, in and around Jerusalem, or I think maybe even in and around Nazareth, and it's dated to no later than forty six A. D. So news of this Christian movement had reached the emperor. Now, understand, we're not talking about a time of social media. This is a time when news yeah. grew very, it flowed very slowly. And so, the fact right. that right. this resurrection story reached the ears of Rome even a little over ten years, what twelve, uh, let's say what. Uh, Four five, six, thirteen years after Jesus, if you go with 33 13 years after the fact uh, that speaks volumes of how quickly this movement was growing in the first century, even in the first few decades.
1: Yeah yeah, so by deduction of that of their of their rule that came out, you go, huh I wonder why that rule came out.
0: Yeah, I mean, it doesn't absolutely prove, but it is highly suspicious. Why would you have something like yeah. this? Uh, and especially in Nazareth, well, you know, you got a guy f- hailing from Nazareth who was said to have raised from the dead, maybe that. Would be the reason why. I mean, Nazareth yeah. is an odd place to put yeah. such a, a, a ruling like that. It is it's very strange. And uh, let me also mention yeah. one other thing here as well, and that is the Babylonian Talmud. Uh, the, the references here are much later, but there are some derogatory terms referencing Jesus. He's called the Ben Panthera, the son of the panther. Uh, the panther Panthera is also uh, a, a, a short version of Parthenos, uh, the, the virgin. That there were some who believed that a that that Mary had uh, relations with a Roman, and that's where Jesus uh, had his birth. There's just you know he's kind of jabbing in there, uh, you know, trying to jab there. but there's also stories of Jesus being a uh, uh, worker of black magic that he did these miraculous deeds, but they attributed it to black magic instead of the work of God. And we see that wow. similar. Uh, notion in the Gospels where uh, it's said that uh, he does it by the power of Beelzebub but Jesus reminds them of what the right. unpardonable sin is and that is to attribute the works of God to the works of the devil right
1: well and that even goes into um, that was you know, still even going on um, right after Jesus' ascension um, in the book of Acts where it talks about um, you have uh, Simon who who's a who's a sorcerer that comes and, and wants to um essentially buy it's like Pastor Eric said this week uh, this weekend um you know he noticed something was different. Something was different because uh, you know he could he could perform magical acts that would that would, you know, basically confound everybody and, and yet he noticed something was different with the way Peter and and everybody were in the disciples carrying themselves and, and the, and the miracles they performed and he wanted to purchase it. And mm-hmm. he, and Peter, Peter confronted him, you, you know, basically saying, you paraphrasing, you, 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 think that the Holy spirit is for sale, you know? So,
0: absolutely.
1: So, uh, some Jesus mythicists claim that since Jesus never wrote anything down, uh, then we have no reason to believe that he existed. Should we be troubled by the fact that Jesus never wrote anything
0: down? Let, let me say off, uh, off the cuff that this is a strange argument made by some Jesus mythicists. Uh, it, it is very odd. Um, but, but I want to say two things. F- first of all, uh, let, let, me give you, let me give you a statement not by a Christian, but by Bart Ehrman. Do you know the percentage of people who have never written down anything in the history of humanity? Hmm. 99.99% of all people who have walked this earth have never written anything down. (laughs) (laughs) The vast majority of people who have lived in this world have never have never penned a book, have never written you know the blogs and stuff down. Is you know we have a bunch of blogs these days, we have a bunch of books, we have a bunch of written material, but put yourself in times past where paper was a commodity and it was not as available as then as it is now. My 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 wife was telling me um that she she works in an organization where there are a lot of uh, individuals who are visually impaired. Many of them are blind, completely blind, and she said that it's absolutely remarkable how good their memories are because they have to. They have to memorize a great deal yeah, of material yeah, yeah. because they don't. They can't read it. This coincides exactly with the research I have found in early cultures and oral traditions. If you don't have information at your disposal, you don't have the paper products, you don't have Uncle Google or Aunt Yahoo to ask every question to... (laughs) then guess what? You've got to memorize this material. Now, Curtis, this is what I found very fascinating. Papias of the late 1st century, early 2nd century said this. He said, Even though he greatly appreciates the written documents preserved by the church, they could never take the place of the early oral traditions he learned, preserved, and memorized, which came from the eyewitnesses and those who knew the eyewitnesses. He said the written materials are great. You know, he, he believed in the Word of God. Don't get me wrong. He was all in favor of the Word of God. But he said nothing could take the place of those early traditions that he learned and he heard he learned and he memorized committed to memory wow. in early cultures this may strike you as surprising it struck me as surprising written texts were not as trusted were not trusted as much as memorized material because the argument was anyone can go and and change the words in a written text but no one can take away what you've placed in your heart that, that was the goal in understanding. No one could take away what was placed in your memory. And so that's why there was this great emphasis on not only learning the Word of God, but committing it to your heart, committing it to memory, making it a part of you so that you can carry it with you. And guess what? They say no one can take that away from you. Uh, and so right. the whole point, quite honestly, a lot of teachers in antiquity didn't write anything down. Socrates didn't write anything down, but they chose disciples. It was actually the preferred method to choose disciples to write their teachings down rather than them writing them down themselves. That was the preferred method in antiquity. So, Jesus is following along the lines, not saying that he's Hellenistic by any stretch of the imagination, he's thoroughly Jewish, but that was the the common thread of, of superior teaching is to have your teachings written down by another rather than you writing them down yourself.
1: funny hmm. how sometimes we just uh, we discount certain things, but yet we hold on to uh, others, um, other writings, and other people, um, and history, historical events, but yet ones that you know may have some moral conviction to your to your life um, we tend to just uh want to discount that yeah a- and and to add in nowadays if it's not wrote down we don't trust it yeah but you know so it's just strange to me how that's flip-flopped over the over the centuries that's crazy the,
0: the blessing of technology has also somewhat been a curse because oh, big time
1: curse. Because time. I can't. Re- I can't remember my own phone number
0: anymore. I'm the same way with a lot of numbers. I, I have had to. It's it's yeah. so bad. My work phone. I have had to actually take a la- get a label maker and and put the yeah. number of, of my phone <laughs> on the top of my phone so I remember what the number will be. because I don't call myself. I don't call my work phone any. So. Uh, yeah. You know, it, it's. I can remember time though when we could. I, I used to be able to remember volumes of of yep. phone numbers. You know, you you know what's mom and dad's phone number, and I'd, I'd give it off, or what so and so's phone number. I'd be able to give it off to you just like that. Yep. These days, we can't do that much anymore.
1: Yep, yep, totally. And imagine imagine us not living in that digital native world, right? We're we're, we're we kind of worked our way into this. I mean, everybody that's our age kind of is accustomed to seeing a phone book or seeing, you know, a, an actual phone with a cord, you know, yeah. that's attached. You, you know, <laughs> <You> know? My- <laughs> Strange.
0: You know, Curtis, you and I are part of Generation X, and uh, my eye doctor, my uh, ophthalmologist, he's also part of our same generation. He says, You know, he said, We're really blessed. We, we grew up in a time where we have technology, but he says, Our generations wasn't dependent on it. He, we know how to get by without it because we grew yeah. up without smartphones. We grew up without all these things. And and he even brought up a point, you where know, I, I can't remember if it was him or, or me talking to someone else about. Just asking the question, how many people would be able to find their way around with, with a road map, a paper road map like we used to have back in the day? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, man, I remember driving down the road, cruising in the, in the semi-truck and just, uh, you know, looking at the map. I'm looking at the atlas and uh, and planning out and plotting out where we're going and what roads we're gonna take and and uh, you know I could tell Dad you know what roads we'd be taking what what parts you know where we'd turn at and and it's like you said it is oral tradition to the utmost because he's driving he can't look at it. I'm telling him where we need to go he remembers all those all those interstate markers numbers roads all that stuff and we find our way there you know and and so yeah I totally get it yeah so so then how many early independent sources do we have of the historical Jesus
0: okay this one I'm going to have to work through navigate through here just just take a few moments to get through this. So let let me first of all say, historically speaking, I, I've come across some new information that really makes this compelling to me, in my mind. Um, and some of this is actually would be would be new to me in this study because I, I come across some materials working on the dissertation, some people who brought up some some arguments to argue for additional sources that I never thought about. So historically speaking, number one, let me say this. The more sources we have, the more independent sources we have for, for an event of history, the better off we are. Because if you have one person who sees a car accident, they're going to give you their perspective of it. If, if say, Curtis and I saw the same car accident, well, we can give you two independent sources, our own takes of what for what we saw. If we have five people who saw it, It would be better still because you have more eyes on it. The more eyes, the more independent testimony you have, the better case you have for a person or for a thing. Now, when it comes to early material and the life of Jesus, we have reason to believe that we have eight independent sources for the life of Jesus. And let me explain why. First and foremost, we have early creeds preserved in Paul's letters and epistle, his epistles, and also in the general epistles. These creeds are the earliest material, they constitute the earliest material that we have, dating way back. And we'll talk a little bit about just about how early some of this material is here in a few moments. But this, this corpus of early creedal material is very early, and it counts as one source. Two, we have four Gospels, but in the four Gospels we actually have five sources because critical scholars, New Testament scholars, believe that Matthew and Luke were drawing from a common source that Mark did not have, an early source they call Q, Q from the first letter of the German word quail, which means source. Now, I have a theory about this. I believe that Q was the early material that Matthew wrote. I think it may have been Matthew's notes that that he wrote. And I think that might have been what Q was. But let's say even if it's the early source material, whatever the case may be, Q would be an independent source used by both the Gospel of Matthew, which if Matthew wrote it, he would have included that, but it would have also been borrowed by Luke in his his, uh, biography of Jesus as well. So you have Q. You also have Mark, uh, which is early material there as well. Uh, This is the testimony of Mark, who records the testimony of Simon Peter in the second Gospel. Most of that is original material. Okay. You also have a third source. M. We're going to call it M. M is the information in Matthew's gospel that's independent to his gospel and is found in no other gospel. So you have independent source material in Matthew's gospel. Luke does the same thing. You have L. You have also independent information shared in Luke's gospel that you don't have in any other gospels. And then you also have the gospel of John, J., and we know that his material it reads a lot differently than the other Gospels because it is independent source material. Right. So in the four Gospels, you have five independent sources. Q, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Q, the, the source material shared by Matthew and Luke. Mark, independent information there. The information information shared by Matthew alone, not shared by anyone else. Information shared by Luke, not shared by anyone else. And then John's Gospel. With the five sources we have in the Gospels, plus the creeds, that's six independent sources we have already. Now, here's where the additional stuff comes in that I hadn't considered. Bill Warren, in the book, Memories of Jesus, brings up an important point that I had never considered. Now we all know when we read the Gospels, we see that in that little bracket past Matthew uh, chapter sixteen verse eight, with a longer yep, information yep. there in the long ending of Matthew. Uh, excuse me, Mark's Gospel. Yeah, Mark's Gospel. Yep. That that was not in the original Gospel. There are a lot of theories out there. If it's not original to Mark, that means that itself is another source material coming from somewhere. We may not know where it comes from, but it is preserved yeah. material that's recorded. It's a Jesus tradition, early Jesus tradition, that's preserved and added to Mark. The same thing applies, even more so, to the story of the woman caught in adultery. Curtis, there is a, an early gospel. It's no longer in existence, but it's, but Jerome reports having read this gospel. It's a gospel called the Gospel According to the Hebrews. Uh, many people believe it's an, uh, the gospel of Ma- Matthew wrote in Aramaic. Now, the jury's out as to whether that's true or not. But one thing he does report seeing is that in this early gospel, it includes the story of the woman caught in adultery. Now the, Now, in a lot of early texts in John's gospel, we don't see this story. But what we do know is it has all the earmarks of historicity. And what we also know is that this story, along with the long ending of Mark, accounts for another independent testimony of Jesus. In fact, maybe two. But we're just going to group that together saying that is another source that we have for the life of Jesus himself. Now, I think we can also make a case for an eighth category. Now, some of this is going to cross over into the creeds. But let's consider this. In the Gospel of, uh, excuse me, we are told in the Bible that Jesus says it is better to give than it is to receive. But that's in the book of Acts. It's preserved in the book of Acts. It's not preserved in the Gospels. Paul quotes Jesus in the, I think it's Paul who quotes Jesus in the book of Acts, and it's not in the Gospels. Paul also tells us independent source material is from a creed now, it is a creedal. In, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11 about uh, some of the things that were done and said at the Last Supper that's not preserved, that's not recorded in the Gospel. So, I think there's a good possibility that you even have eight, an eighth source material there with some of these other traditions, these other Jesus traditions preserved in letters outside the Gospels of things that Jesus said and did. We may not have a lot of them, but they're there. So, if you count for the fact that you have creeds, which are very early, Q, Ma- Mark, uh, M, L, J, uh, Matthew, Luke, and John, uh, extra traditions such as the woman caught at the, at the, in adultery and the long ending of Mark, and also other traditions found in Acts and other parts that talk about things that Jesus said and did, that's eight independent sources we have early sources we have for the life of Jesus
1: hmm. Wow <laughs> I've heard and I don't know if maybe maybe the um, back part of Luke you know the 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 extended version or the long version I've I've heard a theory that I that I thought was it was kind of good it, but I don't know if maybe that is maybe that would pull away a little bit of, of the source material like what you're saying or not, but it was actually Luke that finished off Mark's gospel by by saying not um, not being prescriptive, but being descriptive saying these things have been done essentially is what, what it's being saying. I mean I'm sure phrasing the thought there, but but that so would that be considered an extra source, or would it be part of just Luke just documenting the things, as in like an ax?
0: Well, now, if if that is the case, if that is the case that Luke did that, it, it depends on where he drew that information. If he's comprising the gospels themselves. To make a summary at the end, then that would take away from that being, you know, an independent source. Yeah. But now that wouldn't so. wouldn't take away from the woman caught in adultery because that's a whole other issue there with that story. So even if the long ending of Mark is is part of a summarization given by Luke, it might take away that aspect that that may not be but not been, much. Yeah, that may not be an independent source unless unless we go through that and find something reported that Jesus said or did in that passage that's not reported in other Gospels. Now, if we, if we go through that and find something unique there, then that may be, then that would classify as another tradition that Luke himself or whoever, whoever did it uh, would have gotten from somewhere. So that would be a, a good topic of study for someone to do to go look and see if there's something unique, but it wouldn't take away from the story of the woman caught in adultery. And so, uh, if if nothing else, right. you would say that that story alone would uh, serve as an independent source, and maybe not the longer ending of Mark. Yeah. And that's a good catch, Curtis. That's, a, that's 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 a good that's a good point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. Uh, what is the earliest material we have for the historic Jesus, and how early are they?
0: This is remarkable. Like,
1: like three hours?
0: <laughs> Maybe not three hours, but you're going to be surprised. Bart Ehrman, the guy we heard the clip we just heard, the guy who's not a Christian, not an evangelical, not a not a Bible believer, he says that these creeds are no later than three years after the date that Jesus was crucified, died, and buried, and resurrected. Because we have it on good account that Paul went back to Jerusalem three years after his conversion. Now, I personally believe Jesus was crucified and resurrected in the year 33. So if it's the year 33, then that means that these creeds would have been dated to no later than 36 AD. But if you say that the crucifixion and resurrection is in 30, well, even better... Then thirty three would have been the year that the, that these creeds there would have been no later than thirty three, but there are good reasons for believing. I believe it's Richard balkham unless I'm greatly mistaken. Um, he's I believe it's him who who suggests that First uh, Corinthians fifteen and a lot of these other creeds are, are are within a few months. They started being developed a few months after the crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection. And this guy is a historian par excellence, so you're talking about ground zero here. You're talking about the yeah, very year yeah. of Jesus' resurrection that these things come off uh, are, are are beginning to be developed. I mean, you're talking about extremely early. <laughs> wow,
1: that's just uh, that just amazes me. It really does amaze me, and yet, and yet we have we have this. Stack and and just this uh, mountain of of proof and information, and yet you still have people denying that Jesus even existed, and yet you have maybe a, a a stack of information or a stack of proof that might go four or five inches tall on my desk that that talk about. You know other uh, historical figures and and you know that that existed in in the world of that time period or even earlier, and yet we're we're denying it. It it just clearly comes down to a want and will.
0: That's Um, exactly right.
1: They don't they don't want it, so they won't see it. That's very true. So. What, what do the earliest materials tell us about Jesus then?
0: What I'm getting ready to tell you is from, from the studies I've done thus far, uh, this, is the, this is the skeletal information that we know of Jesus. The, this is the bare bones. And I think you'll be surprised how much we know about Jesus, just bare minimum. Okay, This is, this is something that nearly every historian w- would agree uh, that we know this about Jesus from the earliest materials, okay? So 12 things I want to list to you right quick. One, Jesus was born to a Jewish family who lived in first century Israel. We know that, okay? We, we, we know that. Uh, two, uh, this, this kind of coincides. Jesus grew up in Nazareth. There's no reason. Jesus was historically known as Jesus the Nazarene, Jesus of Nazareth. That was his historical name. There's no denying that. Three, Jesus had some connection with John the Baptist. Now, this is an interesting thing. Some people, like Bruce Chilton, no relation to my knowledge, uh, he is a he is a, um, a New Testament scholar. He claims that Jesus was the disciple of John the Baptist, but I'm not so sure because I'm thinking there's an illusion in uh, implication in John's Gospel that Jesus and John didn't really know one another before Jesus's baptism that much. But uh, that's that'll be a topic. Yeah, sure. of...
1: Yeah, I was gonna say it sure does. It sure is implied. Thinking back, I mean, I I could go back and read it, but but in the in the book of John, it it's it's really apparent to me that it's that they knew of each other. They knew they knew each other existed, you know, relation wise. But I yeah, I don't I don't see where where it would be that he would have. Been under the tutelage of John
0: the Baptist? Yeah, I don't either. I don't really buy into that. Uh, I think Jesus had a great, I think Jesus knew of John's ministry. He had a great appreciation for John's ministry. Uh, And so we can say there was some connection, but I don't know that we can say that. That Jesus was his disciple. So anyhow, but there there was some connection. We can say that much. I think everyone would agree that Jesus had a, a, a chose a group of close disciples that he trained. I think everyone would agree with that. Here's something that nearly every historian would agree, and you, you may be surprised to hear this: Jesus performed miracles. It's it's not it's not argued or even debated that uh, that Jesus performed miracles. That that's a given fact. That that was part of his ministry. Right. Uh, Jesus was an exorcist. He cast out demons. Again, this even some of the most secular scholars. Historians will agree that Jesus was an exorcist. Jesus was an apocalyptic preacher. He, he was an eschatological preacher. He preached about the end times, and and uh, this this isn't a shock So uh, for historians. Jesus spoke of an already not yet kingdom that would be ushered in through him. The kingdom would come, uh, and then the kingdom would be finalized and actualized in the future. And so that's part of that message he brings. Jesus was an itinerant preacher, meaning that he, he spoke around in different communities. Again, no one would debate this. Jesus was right. crucified by Roman authorities. Uh, number 10, he was crucified by Roman authorities, by Pontius Pilate even, we could go that far, and there's no argument there. Uh, number 11, large groups of Jesus' disciples claimed to have seen him alive after his death. Now, we believe that that was a literal bodily resurrection. Some others believe that they may have had a spiritual vision of some sort. But historians are agreed that they saw something. They had these encounters right. on, on Easter. And then lastly, a community of his followers were transformed and continue to follow him to this day. There again... Yeah. So 12 yeah. things we know about him. That's a lot of stuff we know about him, about who he was, his ministry, what he did. Uh, now we, we we draw theological conclusions and deductions from that. But that's a lot of stuff. That's a lot more. We know a lot more about Jesus. And considering the fact that this is something that a person who lived 2000 years ago, that's quite a bit right. of information that we can know about this that's man. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. Wow. That's a whole lot of information in this podcast. <laughs> I encourage people to go back listen and and uh, take it in and man, it's it's this is just getting to the point where we're just having fun here with this um. <laughs> <laughs> Well thanks folks, and we appreciate uh, everything that you've done with us. Um, we thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time. Our prayers to this podcast help stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christy Podcast and until next time, Brian and I say, and on, friends.
0: Listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristi.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christi Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie Podcast and BellatorChristi.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment.
2: Hi, I'm Dave Baggett. I'm the director of the Center for the Foundations of Ethics, previously called the Center for Moral Apologetics, at Houston Baptist University, which in this fraught cultural moment of eroding moral foundations, exists to explore the ultimate questions about ethics. What explains intrinsic human value, for example, or what accounts for authoritative moral obligations, or essential human equality, or basic human rights? we aim to foster a community of scholars from an array of disciplines to delve into these questions with care and rigor in the process we hope to highlight the evidential significance of bedrock and axiomatic moral truths when it comes to matters of the human condition and ultimate reality in june of 2022 we will be kicking off our certificate program in moral apologetics a four-course sequence on the history of the moral argument a course defending moral realism, a course defining and defending theistic ethics, and a course that reveals the shortcomings of secular ethical theories. So check it out on the HBU website and at our own website, MoralApologetics.com.
0: Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today.